the whole premise of this series is to model our mind and model our walk with God around the scripture that's in Isaiah 22, 23, where the Lord says, I will place you like a nail. And he's speaking of blessings. He's speaking of security. He's speaking of peace. I will place you like a nail. To give you a 30-second example, we've got three kids during the storm last week. Two of those kids, our 11-year-old and our 8-year-old, are standing next to our bed at 3 o'clock in the morning going, there's a storm outside. Our baby, two years old, is sleeping in the crib, sleeping. She's at peace. The two older ones, not so much. When God places you like a nail, it doesn't mean you're not going to have storms. It just means you're going to sleep through them. The difference between having Jesus with you and not having Jesus with you, the storm that almost overtook Peter in the Bible when he was in the boat, this storm almost overtook him. But once Jesus showed up, what once scared him, he started walking on. He, Peter started walking on the water with Jesus, and it was that storm that almost overtook him. Whatever storm is in your life, as huge as it may be, God has this way of placing you like a nail with peace and security that when it comes, you are still left strong. I distinctly remember walking on, uh, when I was 9 or 10 years old, I used to live in Little Rock, Arkansas, and for whatever reason, there was a couple of years there where tornadoes were coming through like crazy, and this tornado hit a neighborhood of a friend of ours, uh, thankfully they were fine, but my dad brought me there, and we saw hundreds of houses just completely demolished by a tornado, but I'll never forget this, boards were split in half. Furniture was thrown all over the place, but the nails were still in the board. When a nail gets put in a board, nothing is taking it out except for a person that wants to withdraw that nail. When God places you like a nail, all hell may be breaking loose and you will still remain strong. It's a very complicated thing to find security if you're not finding it in Jesus Christ. Here's a thought that I'd like for you to write down. Good circumstances can cause overconfidence and spiritual indifference. If somebody's life is going too good, spiritually, they're indifferent. There was a family, a part of our church, a few years back, and he would tell me all the time, pray for me to get a job, pray for me to get a job, pray, pray, pray. Not only did he get a job, but it was such a huge contract that he went from being broke to being loaded. Not loaded, loaded. All of a sudden, his church attendance evaporated. He went from being passionate about God to 
indifferent. When your circumstances are too good, it can almost cause overconfidence. And some of us know people like that. But on the other side of the pendulum, the exact thing happens in a unique way. Bad circumstances can lead to discouragement and depression. So if it's too bad, you can get discouraged and down. If it's too good, you can get overconfident. The key is to have a desire and a humility for the Lord that keeps us balanced. That's why David said this. Actually, it wasn't David. It was in the... um, Did I tell you to turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 30? Is that where I told you guys to turn? All right. I meant to say turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Um, But in Proverbs 30, uh, verse 8 and 9, read it when you get home. For the sake of time, I'm going to summarize it. The, the, The proverb says this. God, don't make me too rich or I won't care about you. But then again, don't make me too poor because then I'll steal something. Are you with me? You got to keep me somewhere in between. And so what we want to do as a church family is we want to be the kind of nail that we are mature enough to handle a good season. On the flip side, we are mature enough to handle a difficult season. When we are a nail... A nail serves two purposes. First of all, is it holds something in place. Secondly, for things that can't hang on by itself, you use a nail. See, for us, if we are a nail, we are committed to God regardless of the season when our life is over what will people say about us we are committed to God we have drawn that line in the sand and said the trend and direction of my life is to the Lord as pastors um, when I talk to friends of mine that are pastors we laugh with each other because if the weather is too good people won't come to church. But if it's too bad, people won't come to church. It's got to be somewhere in the middle, about like today. (laughs) So it's one of those things, when you say, I am a nail, you are saying, I am committed to God, whether I am excited about what he's doing or I'm completely confused by what he's doing. You see, our five-pound brain is never going to understand everything that the sovereign God is doing. So we might as well just make up in our minds right now, are you in or are you out? And when you are a nail, you are all in. And when I say all in, that means I love what you love, And I hate what you hate. Absolutely. That's a good time to clap. You see, it's easy to say, God, I love what you love. But it's a difficult thing to hate what he hates. 
You know, whenever we back up and we see the Lord, we've got to see him for who he is. He created the universe because he is so good and because he is so powerful. He causes life to be able to happen. He is so phenomenal. He is so great that every single thing that happens on this earth does not happen without him knowing it. The Bible says that a sparrow does not fall to the ground without him taking notice. How much more does he notice what you and I are doing? I know what you may be thinking. Well, I've got all hell breaking loose. I'm happy that he notices, but I'd like for him to do something about it. Am I, am I talking to anybody? I, I'm happy you've noticed, but come on. Here's the thing. We don't understand all the time what God's doing. Sometimes he sends a flood, and sometimes he stops the flood, and sometimes he just sends a rainbow and just says, I promise you everything's going to work out. We don't know what he's up to, but when you are a nail, the one non-negotiable is that you are here to serve God. Period. Somebody say, I am a nail. When you're a nail, not only do you hold yourself in place, but other people committed to others. Other people are hanging on to you. Other people are depending on you. I remember my mom distinctly telling me one time, I was about eight or nine years old, and I said, Mom, I am starving. She goes, you're starving. Yeah, I'm starving. She goes, have you ever gone one day without eating? I said, no. She goes, well then, stop saying you're starving. You're going to get some food. She was committed to make sure that I had food. If you have children living in your home, you are committed to making sure that they have food. But you don't stop there. You are committed to them spiritually. You have adopted them spiritually. You may be a verbal leader. You may be a silent leader. But you lead. You lead. It may be simple, but it's significant. You are a nail. There's a huge difference between somebody who believes in God and somebody who's committed to God. Satan believes there's a God. So let's not feel too good about that. Let's be a person that's committed to God. There's two people I want to contrast this morning. The first one is the first king of Israel named Saul. The second one is the second king of Israel named David. Saul, he used to be committed to God. He used to be a spiritual leader. He used to do that, and then all of a sudden, warfare came into his life. Every Christian has got to understand what warfare is. Warfare is just like warfare that we experience in the natural. When our brave men and women are fighting battles against other nations, they're at war. There's a warfare there. The same exact thing is taking place in the spiritual realm with you and Satan. The Bible says that he roams the earth. That's all he does. He roams the earth looking for people whom he can devour. The Bible says that he's come to kill, 
steal, and destroy. If he can't kill, he'll steal something out of your family. If he can't steal something out of your family, then he'll destroy something in your family. This is what he does all day, every day. When you and I are committed to God, we're committed to others, we are a nail, he does not know what to do with us. He doesn't know what to do. He's completely confused. Have you ever played a game of chess and just stared at it and went, that is the enemy. He's completely confused. But all of a sudden, Saul shifted. He started living for his own desires. He started caring not about what God wanted, but only about what he wanted. And so things began to shift in his life. Warfare was taking place and he was not fighting back. Your first note on three characteristics of nails is warfare. A nail knows how to war. Now watch this. When a soul is no longer governed by God, it is open to evil. If God does not govern your soul, it is open to evil. What does that mean? Whenever our governor of Texas says this is the law, we may like some laws and we may not like other laws. But we are committed to following those laws. When God says, I am a king, I I have a kingdom, you are my son, you are my daughter, these are the laws. When you and I back up and we go, I like one, two, and three, not so much four and five, six and seven are okay, not so much eight. God is no longer governing our life. And when God is no longer governing our life, our life is wide open for evil. And the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, can no longer reign and rule in our life. It can't saturate our homes and saturate our minds and saturate our hearts and go before us and fight for us. can no longer do those things. Here's something. When the Holy Spirit leaves us, bad spirits find us. It's just a a fact of the matter. When David decided that he was not going to go to war, Instead, he saw this woman that he thought was smoking hot. He wanted to talk to her. The problem was that she's married. You can't flirt with married women. That's a no-no. He did it anyway. He went way further than that. He invited her to the house and turned on Sade. Put on a red velvet robe. Lowered his voice. Hello, my name is David. (laughs) All of you men who have a low voice, I covet that. Do you know every time I go to Starbucks, I go, yes, ma'am, we'll have it right out. (laughs) (laughs) It drives me nuts. And so anyway, he lowers his voice. Hello, my name is David. Welcome. Come on in. He's got the bear rug out. He seduces this married woman. And all of a sudden he backs up and and God punishes him in the worst way. 
Do you know what the first thing that came to his mind was? Oh God, don't let your Holy Spirit leave me. Whatever happens, whatever punishment has to happen, just don't let your spirit leave me. The spirit protects you. It comforts you. It keeps you sleeping during the storm. The Holy Spirit leads you and guides you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit teaches you all things and brings things to your remembrance. You'll look at somebody while they're talking and you'll go, you are lying. You will just be able to look into their eyes and say, you are lying. The Holy Spirit will teach you things and bring things to your remembrance. But this is something that you and I have got to back up and with fear back up and say to ourselves, my soul has got to continually be governed by God. I am going to be a nail. I'm going to be committed to God. Everyone I'm responsible for, my family, my friends, I'm committed to them. And when you stay committed, you are fighting with warfare and the Holy Spirit is with you like this jacket is on my back. And if God's for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. If you have God, but you don't have anything else, it doesn't matter. Let me share a few, one more thought, another thought with you. After we begin to embrace this warfare characteristic, the next characteristic is worship. See, David was a worshiper, and worship is warfare. See, you and I can't, as much as we love being Texans and we love our, our CHLs, and you, you can't walk up to the devil and pull it back your pearl handle and go, say when. <laughs> we don't get to fight like that. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice to have a rocket launcher and set Satan right up and like... Just put one right in his mouth. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice just to have like a set of nunchucks? Just Bruce Lee his fate. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to Ralph Macchio, that guy, just... Wouldn't that be nice? We don't get to fight that way. The way we fight is through worship. When we worship, hell trembles. Hell trembles. When we worship, when bad things are happening, hell backs up and is completely confused because it just used... It's best trick to shut you up. When you worship in a bad situation, they don't know what to do. Satan and his imps and demons, the demonic world, they don't know what to do. You have to remember, hell does not want your family, it wants your faith. Hell does not want your finances, it wants your faith. Hell does not want your health, it wants your faith. All attacks... They're all driven for one thing. It wants, hell wants you to back up and go, I don't know if this is real. It's all after your faith. What works for one person may not work for another. So all the battle, all the tactics are all driven after that. They're all different, but they're all after the same thing. You and I fight back with worship. If you're taking notes, write this down. 
that worship, when we enter his presence with praise, God enters our circumstances with power. When we begin to worship and praise him, God says, I think I'm up. See, whenever we rest, God works. If we're working, God's resting. So we got to decide straight away what we want to happen. So when Saul was going through the most stressful part of his season, the soldiers came up to Saul and said, Saul, you are being tormented by a spirit. We, we can't help you. The only thing we know to do is we're going to go find somebody who knows how to worship. Does anyone have someone in their family like a grandmother or a great-grandmother or an aunt that can just bring it down? <laughs> like they can worship like crazy and, and, and you call them whenever you're in trouble? I've got a grandma, uh, grandma that I call her and I'm like, Granny, I need, I, I need you to pray. Okay, son. Okay, son. And I know Papa's not sleeping that night. She's going to be up all night long just wailing. And, and she's kind of funny, except for when I need her. It's not funny then. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? Like, I'll have people just kind of go, man, Christianity's kind of weird. But let something bad happen. All of a sudden, it's not weird anymore. <laughs> anyway, that was a sidebar. <laughs> so these soldiers said, look... We need a worshiper, and we don't know how to do that. There's a shepherd boy that knows how to worship. If you're taking notes, write this down. Shepherds who know how to worship are more powerful than soldiers who know how to war. They go get this boy, David, and David shows up, and he begins to play the harp. And every time he begins to worship, that spirit leaves the room. You know, fingernails on a chalkboard, does anyone here go nuts with that? Do you know the, the, the napkins that at a restaurant and they got like a piece of tape wrapped around the napkins and inside of it are sil is silverware and they hand it to you and then you rip the, the, the tape and then you open up the napkin and then there's silverware in there. You know what I'm talking about? That moment of ripping the, the, the tape off the napkin makes my skin crawl. I have to give it to my kids and say, open that for me. And then I got to look over here so that they can take the silverware out. It makes my skin ripping paper. It, it just drives me nuts. Here's the thing. Whether it's fingernails on a chalkboard, whether it's the napkin in the tape, there's certain things that all of us have that drive us crazy that we've got to leave the room. Whenever somebody starts worshiping, an evil spirit has to leave the room. Has to leave the room. So the reality is, is they bring David in and they say, look, King Saul, he is overwhelmed with depression. And David says, look, I don't know what you guys have been doing. You've been giving them steaks or whatever, but just let me worship a little bit. And it left Every single time. So there's warfare. 
there's worship. And then here's the thing that every person who's a nail has got to know. There is this grace, the work of grace. That's the third point. There's warfare, worship, and the work of grace. When you are a nail, you have come to the place in your life where you begin to realize that the best things in your life came not because you worked hard. It was a gift from God. Think about the best thing in your life. Everyone close your eyes and think about the best thing in your life. Is it your kids? Is it your wife? Is it your husband? Is it your father, your mother? Whatever it is, think about the best thing. How hard did you work? You can open your eyes now. How hard did you work to bring that into your life? The best things in our life were hand-delivered from God. The best things that you will have in the future are hand-delivered by God. It's a powerful thing. That's called grace. Now watch this. Imagine this. David gets anointed to be king as a 13-year-old boy. He's out there watching the sheep. And he's looking at the castle. He's thinking to himself, I'm here, but I'm supposed to be over there. I'm here. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be over there. So many of us have been in that season, and some of us are in a season right of that right now, where you're in a season that you hate. And you can see in your heart, what needs to happen. I just need to get out of this season, but I don't know how to get from here to there. Are you with me? You can't go backwards and you can't go forwards. You can't go back to the good old days. Are you with me? Who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody. uh, He sells uh, big machines, big machinery between services. His, His number one client our oil and gas companies. They get the big machineries from his company. And they take the big machinery and they go drill and do all the fracking and all that kind of stuff. But it's his company that sells and leases the big machineries. And he goes, you got to pray for me. He goes, last year we did 1.1 billion. It's a big company. They were crushing it. He goes, we're doing less than half that right now. We just had to lay off 60 employees. Because if oil and gas don't need big machineries, then he's out of business. Because you got to pray. He remembers two years ago when oil was like crushing it. He can't go back two years ago. And he can't go forward. He knows what needs to happen. Oil, the barrel of oil just needs to do better. Well, he can't make that happen. He's stuck in the middle. What do you do when that door isn't open, that door isn't open, and you're stuck in the hallway? Hallway seasons stink. Can someone say amen? They stink. Have you ever been in a huge hotel trying to find your room? You're like, and then you finally find your room and you stick it in and it's red, 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 red. Go downstairs, it doesn't work. Oh, I'm so sorry, it's okay. No, really, it's okay. 
It stinks when you can't get the door opened. So what do you do when the door doesn't open? Well, first of all, you just stick to number one. I'm committed to God. I don't care if the door doesn't ever open. What if God, what if God never answers a prayer again? What if I only stay with my wife if she cooks for me? If she only stayed with me if I cooked for her, she wouldn't be here right now. Do you see how bent that relationship would be? I want, I want like bacon-wrapped filet mignon. And if you don't give it to me, I don't know that we can stay together. That's Dr. Phil stuff right there. I can't put stipulations on my relationship with my wife. We can't do that with God either. So when you're in the hallway season, number one, you realize you're in warfare. I'm staying committed to God. I'm staying committed to who I'm responsible for. Number two, I'm going to keep on worshiping. But number three, I'm betting on grace. I am counting on you, God, to figure this out. I'm going to do everything I know how to do, but what I need, watch this, what I need is I need something that I cannot control to go my way. And that's what I need you to step up and help me with. So here, David, he's warfaring, he's worshiping, he's waiting on grace. All of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. Of course they knocked like that. We all do. (laughs) David's father opens the door and it's two soldiers from the kingdom. Now imagine you open your door and it's two secret service agents that are usually protecting President Barack Obama. What'd you do? (laughs) Right? What'd you do? It wasn't me. Click. Bye. (laughs) They opened the door, and all of a sudden the soldier said, we heard that your son David is a worshiper. Time out. Isn't that an awesome reputation? We heard that you love God. We heard that you're a worshiper. We heard that you have been paying private prices that nobody has been knowing about. We haven't paid the prices ourselves, but we would like for you to take your relationship with God that we haven't invested into our relationship. We would like for you to take your relationship with God, come over here with us and fight for us because we don't know what the heck we're doing. Uh I mean, it was said something like that in the Bible. It was close to that. (laughs) David comes and how did he get to the kingdom? They came and brought him. Let's always remember this. That anointing announces itself. What we want is to be in the presence of God. We want to worship him. And the anointing will take us places that we cannot get to ourselves. It's such an interesting thing. When we begin to pursue God, blessings pursue us. 
I'll never, ever forget. I'll never forget. Ten and a half years ago, um, in a car at like, I don't know, it's like 10 o'clock at night. My mother-in-law is driving me to the airport. I was in Vancouver. She's driving me to the airport. It's just her and I in the car. I'm flying back to Houston. Allie and I are getting ready to start a church. And she asks me, are you going to call up all your friends and all the people that you used to go to church with and invite them to come start a church with you? And my eyes filled up with water. Because basically what that meant was, hey, but I know you already have a church, but will you leave that church and come be with me and start a church with us? My eyes filled up with water. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I just feel like God is going to strengthen our hand. So we took this big step of faith. We had our first service. And can I tell you how awesome God was? Three people came. (laughs) (laughs) And at that moment, I was like, I miss God. I should get the database, baby. We're calling them all up. There's these seasons where we back up and we say, God, what I want to happen, I am not capable of happening and making it happen on my own. If I could, I would have already done it. So I'm just going to be a nail. I'm going to stay committed to you. I'm going to stay committed to others. You've got to remember this. There's only one type of commitment, and that's total. There's no other type of commitment. I'm going to stay committed to my family. I'm going to stay committed to my friends. Spiritually committed. And I'm just going to wait for you to do what you do. When I say committed to our friends, I'm talking about a spiritual commitment. I've got a friend of mine named Sean that I met at one of my son's basketball games. I've been inviting him to come to church for like four weeks, and he keeps telling me, yeah, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, I'm going to come. I just keep on inviting him. This morning during the first service, I'm speaking, I look out there, and he's, there's Sean. I was like, shut up. Sean's here. And you know me. I got ADD like crazy. I, was just, I had to walk out there and say hello to him. I was like, Sean's here. Why did I keep on annoying him? You got to come. You got to come. You got to come. Because if he's a friend of mine, I'm going to be a nail in his life. He may not be there spiritually, but I'm going to... I'm a nail. He's not there, but I am. I'm going to drag him over here. Now, I've got things in my life that I'm waiting for the tide to turn, just like you. In the meantime, while I'm waiting on grace, I'm fighting in warfare, I'm worshiping, and I'm waiting on grace. The one thing God always does is He always comes through. He always comes through. He always comes through. How many of you can raise your hand and say, He always comes through? Let's stand up and give Him a standing ovation for that. He always, always, always comes through. 
He always comes through. He always comes through. Come on, give it to him. He always comes through. He always comes through. You know, I, I feel like I should, just, I should just say this. When I say he always comes through, it doesn't mean he always answers your prayers the way you expect him to. I said he always comes through. He doesn't always say yes. Those are two totally different things. I thank God to this day for certain prayers he didn't say yes to. Are you with me? Does anybody have an ex-boyfriend you thank God didn't work out? An ex-girlfriend back in college where you're like, dear God, I know she's the one. And now you're like, thank you, God. Are you with me? Thank you, God. He always comes through. Sometimes God will allow you to get fired from a job. Because he knows you are so faithful, you'll stay there forever. But he's got something better for you. There's only one way to get a faithful person out of a job, and that's to get them kicked out. I'm just telling you, something better is coming. Let's be a nail. Everybody say, I am a nail.